Okay, good afternoon. I'd like to get started on this next session. I'm going to have to be fairly quick and run through it so we don't cut into Guy's time a little bit later on. The features of this syllabus that I'm going to outline have been developed over the past, I think, 25 years. Uh, they go back to a course that um, a few permaculture Melbourne educators were involved in in 1994. Uh, we developed a course outline at that stage, fairly detailed one, bringing together the best ideas from everybody else's courses. Our inspiration at that time was uh, David Holmgren's PDCs, Varese Gravestein's up at Chilton, and uh, Jude and Michelle Fonton from Byron Bay, where I did my PDC. Um, the Educators Group of Permaculture Melbourne developed the syllabus over the next few years, and uh, that was taken over by the, Victoria, the uh, Permaculture Educators Guild, which was formed uh, a few years ago, based in central Victoria. Uh, a bioregional guild that is, uh, has a, an open membership, anybody interested in uh, developing a uh, bioregionally appropriate resource materials for teaching the PDC, of which the, uh, the syllabus is the sort of foundation. Um, most of our material is from these three uh, primary texts. Uh, we've, uh, we've tried as much as possible uh, in earlier versions of the syllabus to uh, abide by the dictum that we must follow the material in the uh, designer's manual. We don't see that as a curriculum document. It's a fantastic resource text, but it's also quite dated now. It was uh, published in 1988 and so much has happened since then. Notable of which is uh, David Holmgren's publication of Permaculture Principles. Uh, we've adopted his principles and, and, and the most recent versions of our syllabus uh, we've organised it along his domains for all of the applications. Uh, we've also built in the design methodology that uh, David Jackie introduced in 05, I think. Um, uh, but we have to tweak that and I'll talk a little bit about that later. Uh, the features of the, it is a bioregional syllabus. It's the... Uh, <coughs> uh, it, it provides source material for permaculture teachers. Uh, f to develop their own uh, PDCs. Uh, so it's, it's a resource document for teachers. We're not trying to be um, dogmatic about uh, what should be taught, but we've, we've pretty much included everything that all of us are, are wanting to include somewhere in our courses in our part of the world. Um, but it's structured so there's a clear separation and there's a sequential coverage um, of initially quite detailed ecological processes, and then we go through the design process and methodologies, and then we have all of the applications arranged uh, according to David's domains. So we'll have a look, quick look at those. The syllabus is built, uh, is broken up into four parts, and the first four parts cover these, um, these groups. We think this is, most of this is uh, pretty much what the core of the permaculture design course should be. Goes through all the processes, um, we've moved patterns in the landscape uh, up um, <clears throat> before we go into the, de the design methodology because it is really part of the data collection process and reading landscapes has been, had, a, had quite a few mentions in the last couple of days here. Then the next, uh, the next few parts, uh, up to parts 10, are all of the the applications of permaculture, um, ethics principles, um, and, um, 
and design techniques. We have another part 11, which is implementing permaculture, which I haven't shown you there. <clears throat> now, we've attempted to, uh, to build in, uh, arrange all of the topics. There are 47 topics in the syllabus. Each topic is designed to be enough material to teach in a one and a half hour teaching slot. Uh, <clears throat> and the only one that, well, the one that we couldn't fit in here was David's health and wellbeing domain because we felt that um, we couldn't find much that people are uh, teaching under that heading which is actually in all of the texts. So we've put most of that into the, the second ethic of, of people care. So we think that's where most of it fits appropriately there. And also the social applications cover probably a bit more than David indicates in his uh, permaculture flower. <clears throat> An example of how we, we, um, we group uh, the application topics in the, uh, in the syllabus. These are the two that fit into the, the, the social uh, landscape um, group. We initially uh, look at the patterns that are currently there. So we're reading the social landscape here. Um, looking at the patterns and then we move on to the next topic uh, which is outlining the strategies that are available to us using permaculture ideas, permaculture principles and, and the various processes in there. So we've tried to clearly separate those. So it's in line with the David Jackie's design methodology of doing a, a very detailed analysis and assessment of what you've got before you start doing your concept design. And uh, some of those is just the, a pair, and a couple of topics, it's all in one topic. In the case of the rural landscapes, I think we've got about four or five topics there, an introductory one and then four or five other topics. We wouldn't expect all of those four or five rural topics to be taught in depth on an urban course, but we think some of it should be. Uh, an example of how we use permaculture concepts in the applications, uh, <coughs> looking at, um, in the social scene, how we start with ourselves uh, at the base and then we look, uh, go out in a zoning pattern to look at the people we live with, uh, the immediate neighbourhood in our streets, the local community, bioregion, the national and global. And uh, there's uh, seven levels there. Pattern seven, seven levels of branching. Now this is the, uh, the stages in the design process. Now we are departing a little bit from David Jackie's procedure here and I know a lot of people um, inspired by David's me methodology and they're following him pretty strictly but we think there's a couple of flaws in that. Mainly because David starts, he wants his, his two volumes uh, <coughs> uh, looking at designing edible gardens, uh, that's the forest, the food forest pattern. Uh, edible forest gardens um, <clears throat> and he assumes that the designer and the client are the same but the PDC was originally set up to train designers who are working for clients so we've built in the first step in the design process is a real or a mythical client on our PDCs we allow our groups uh, and we do group work and, and our PDCs at series for instance um, that's not prescriptive but that's what we do um, we um, get the groups to uh, design a, a, a group of people. It might be a family, it might be a group of students or it, it, something like that um, to, to start with. And then we go through the, the project description phase, uh, analysis and assessment, 
then the conceptual design, detailed design, implementation, and on ongoing management. So seven stages in the process. Okay, so let's look at the, the client briefing. Now we do this early in the course and we don't come back to it unless we're doing it in a review situation. So we look at um, this, all of these things in the client briefing stage when we're outlining the design process. So if you're, you're working, you may, be your, your, you may be the designer and the client, but somewhere at some stage, if you're new in the process, you need to go through these steps. Now this is the, this is the first stage, developing the client brief. Okay. Yes, yes, and that's where we depart from from some prominent designers and teachers, or some teachers anyway. And this is based on one of our members is a very active, uh, qualified landscape designer, uh, landscape architect. Uh, so determine what the client's vision is. You, if you're contracting to work for somebody, you, you need to know <laughs> what the contractual arrangement is, where the site is, what they want you to do, and as part of that, we, um, we want to look at the, at the legal constraints. It's no good uh, getting employed to develop a pig farm on a, on a property if pig farming is prohibited under the local uh, planning scheme. Uh, so that's a legal constraint that's going to influence your, your whole process right from the start. Um, David, Jackie and other people who follow David tend to do this at stage four in the process. We think there's things that you do at that stage, but there are some, some overriding legal issues that you need to address at this stage. Okay. <clears throat> then we go into stage two, which is your project description. This is where you collect your data, you do your reading, your landscapes, including your topographical features, your landforms and water flows and that kind of thing. And then you put all that information on a base map. <clears throat> then, once you've got that information, you start to do the analyses. Uh, and David emphasises there's two parts to this. Uh, analysis first, which is breaking up the parts, and then assessment of the value of those parts and whether they're working or not. And I think that's a really good approach. So we determine what is and isn't working using these conceptual design tools. Sector analysis is the overriding tool we use here. There's a place to do some zone analysis to see if things are in the right place or not. You may want to move them to a more appropriate, easier to access site or something like that in your new plan. Uh, functional analysis, I think Al um, April mentioned this, uh, it's good to do it. It takes a bit of time, but it's worthwhile doing it uh, early in the piece, particularly if you're a novice. And uh, you may or may not want to use network analysis if you're on a rural property with different nodes of activity. That's a tool that David introduced ages ago and doesn't tend to get much, uh, much uh, press in the permaculture literature. Mm, um, I'll have to look at that. I can't clarify that from here. Um, so then we move, having done that assessment, we go into the conceptual design phase. Now, there are a lot of steps in here, so I'll do a couple of them at a time. Uh, we then refine the client's vision. You then work, sit down with your client and say, well, that was a great vision, but now we know your site and its, uh, its uh, opportunities and its constraints. You may like to tweak your vision a bit. And then, the, then once you've got your broad vision, uh, nailed down, then you start to articulate your more specific goals for your project. This is the setting of objective stage in strategic planning. I don't believe you can do this adequately 
early in the process until you've got a good understanding of the, uh, the opportunities and constraints on your site. That's another area where we differ uh, from uh, David, uh, Jackie and others who use his. Uh, so some of the legal constraints that come in here are those that affect the, the detail of your, uh, of your uh, design, such as you know, um, setbacks from boundaries and, uh, and those kind of things. They come in at that point. And so then uh, we use our design tools again at the, as a planning tool rather than uh, an assessment tool. And we recommend at this stage you use the scale of permanence to do, uh, to, to do the planning uh, in, the, uh, in the scale of permanence sequence. It was developed initially by uh, P.A. Yeomans, um, but many people, including David and Bill, in their first publication have tweaked that a bit and added a few more stages in there. Uh, Darren Doherty has gone a step further and has his whole uh, Regrarian's um, this design platform based around eight, eight stages uh, using the scale of permanence. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I think it's really good on a large property. You know, when you're on smaller, smaller acreage, I think buildings in the house actually comes in a, where it sits in that scale of the house itself is, the buildings are way down. But in designing a, a permaculture garden in an urban situation, you are still constrained by climate, which is the top of the list. You can modify it with microclimates. So I think there is still a role, even at the scale of urban, urban, urban site. I'll take your point. <coughs> um, <coughs> so once you've uh, used your, your design tools, you, you uh, then come up initially with bubble diagrams. This is very quick sketches. Uh, putting things in different places and see how they feel. Now, I think you can do numbers of these if you're on a rural property with more complexity. On an urban, tight urban property, there's, usually it's pretty obvious where you can put a garden, but you still need to go through these procedural steps to train students in what the process is so they don't make initial mistakes when they're learning to do permaculture design. Um, so that's the bubble diagram step. <coughs> Or, and several bubble diagrams, even if it's a backyard thing, it's still a good idea to say, well, just try putting the garden there, what's wrong with it? Um, is it too much shade? And that's where you do some of your um, assessment. Uh, so once you've got your bubble diagrams, then uh, as a designer or in our PDCs as a group exercise, the group then decides which of those bubble diagrams appeals best and then you set it out in more detail, as a, as a more details a schematic design. And if you're working with a client, then you present uh, that schematic design to your client, say this is why we're doing it here, and explain it all, and get the go-ahead to spend more time to uh, go up and, and write up the, the, uh, the full design. Um, many uh, professional designers might come up with <coughs> two or three sketchy schematic designs to give uh, a client <coughs> um, more options to choose from and to give guidance back to the designer. So you uh, make a choice on how many of those bubble diagrams you turn into sch schematic designs uh, <coughs> according to the, whether you're on a rural property with very complex relief or a, a simple uh, urban block without much space around it. So once you've got you, you're con you, you confirm a preferred schematic design, you, you adopt that then as your master plan. 
Now, I've heard some comments that master planning's <laughs> not flavour of the month these days, but I think it has uh, a lot of value <clears throat> and we see the master plan as the starting point for your design. And it's 01, you mean 10? <laughs> it's upside down. <laughs> uh, um, so uh, we, we'll go through that and we'll come back to the reasons for that. Uh, you may or may not want to use overlays, physical overlays, or digital mapping and these things. You just do various versions uh, with your analyses and, and zone planning and, and, and so on. Then you go on to your component designs. And these are the bits and pieces. These are more detailed parts of your design. And this includes what David Jackie talks about, patch design, uh, within, his, uh, within his design process. So the, all sorts of things can go in there. And then they add to that all your species lists and time frames and that kind of thing to present a complete package <coughs> that you present to the client. So this is what we're recommending. This is what it's going to cost. This is when you'll do this and do that and that sort of thing. Uh, then the design implementations, when you actually get to work on it, as a designer you may be in a position to offer your service to actually do it, or you may hand over to somebody or the owners to go ahead and do that. And we think you should include training for system managers in that, because if they don't know how to run the system, um, it's not going to work. There's lots more in, in this about the, the, the owners of the uh, owners owning the plan and uh, not having a plan imposed on them by a designer with grand ideas. <clears throat> now, the last stage is the stage of uh, management and feedback. But it's important to note that we see design as an iterative process, so any stage through there, if you think something's not working, you might need to go back and, and, <clears throat> and revisit the earlier stage and tweak the earlier stage and then start the process again. But certainly, as you implement, you'll see, oh, we've made a mistake there, uh, or what we wanted to do here isn't going to work, and you go back and, and you revise a component of your design, or you might go back and actually revise the layout of the design if you've made a boo-boo and need to put something entirely somewhere else, go back to a, another schematic design. Uh, our zone, diff this is another area where we differ from uh, many people. Lots of ways zoning is used. <clears throat> it's usually on intensity of use, but I make a point that um, <clears throat> if you've got uh, uh, if you've got a milking cow, uh, it obviously doesn't fit into zone one. But you've got a paddock next to your house, you can have a milking cow, and you've got to milk that once or twice a day. If you've got a hundred cows, you've got to milk them twice a day. So the intensity of interaction with the cow or cows isn't relevant. A single house cow will go in your zone two. The herd of 100 milking cows will go in your zone three. Um, so it's, it's more than the intensity of use. I really get annoyed when I see that zone three, the farming zone in a permaculture design, is a part of the property which you might only visit two or three times a month. I don't know any farmer that's going to make a living by visiting his farm two or three times a month. <coughs> So we, and we first established this syllabus, <coughs> we uh, uh, redefined the zones in functional terms. And, and David, as I mentioned earlier, David pointed out that <coughs> uh, as, as uh, you move out from one zone to the next, uh, there's a, um, <coughs> a logarithmic increase uh, in, in, in size and uh, a different approach. You've got to change your techniques as the scale changes. So our zone definitions are there, 
the home, which is the centre of activity, which may be an office. The zone one is whatever supports your household, the utilities. And intensive production areas are in zone two, where you have the space and you have a wish to derive some extra income. You will also support the household, but that's not the primary purpose. Primary purpose is to increase your production, so you've got some surplus for trading and bartering and so on. Then the extensive production areas as your commercial farming areas. Managed habitat, um, this has changed, and we believe that managed habitat should be natural habitat from which you're extracting some useful resource. <coughs> Firewood, brushwood, leaf litter, harvesting a bit of wildlife, bees, uh, bush foods, all that sort of thing. But it should be managed natural habitat or re-established natural habitat uh, because we believe that your plantation forestry belongs in zone, the outer parts of zone three. So I would like to, to at some stage consider splitting zone three into an inner and an outer zone three. So your, your annual turnover, commercial cropping, uh, and rotational grazing and that sort of thing would be in your inner zones and your long-term plantation forestry <coughs> would be in your outer zones. Well, it has from the early days of the syllabus and I think David picked up on what we were doing when he published his permaculture principles. If you look at his uh, principle number seven, you'll see a diagram showing land use patterns against uh, permaculture zoning patterns and the scale at which each of those operates. And he uses similar, not the same terminology, but the concepts are, same, are the same. He's actually usually providing functional type definitions uh, in, that, in that diagram, if you have a look at that. And then zone five, of course, is your natural habitat. <coughs> uh, we've, uh, thanks Nadia. We've uh, <coughs> grappled with what is core material in a PDC. <coughs> uh, we don't like talking about the core curriculum because Curriculum is usually defined as a course of study at an institution, not the content of what you teach. So we, we talk about a syllabus. <clears throat> um, a run your step-by-step -step guide is, is uh, an implementation of the UK uh, core curriculum guidelines where they specify what must be taught and what's optional, but most of the headings in there um, must be mentioned even if you don't teach them in any detail. We think under that system that a lot of stuff that, that uh, a trainee, a PDC graduate should know, might get missed. Um, but so uh, we're looking at um, identifying what might be core material in our syllabus and we're gravitating towards looking at what <coughs> people teach on a 72-hour PDC um, or what Lockie and, and, and Ego are doing uh, in Timor for a, a rural rural PDC and see if we can identify the real core material that should be in every PDC. Uh, our syllabus is, there's so much in it, most of us using it now are teaching for about 100 hours or more, certainly more than 90 hours and I think that's already been mentioned too that the, the PDCs are getting longer bef because of the, uh, the, the time needed to go into the detail. <coughs> um, <coughs> we're, <coughs> we're working towards a, a pattern language to this extent <coughs> Uh, we've embedded in the syllabus uh, some, some definitions. It's not consistent. We've talked about extracting those and developing a, a, a glossary as an appendix so that glossary can be printed off and handed out to students. And I noticed in David's Retro Suburbia, uh, the, the pattern of the text is in patterns. There's lots and lots and lots of patterns for all scenarios uh, uh, in his Retro Suburbia book, so uh, that's a, a contribution. 
An example of those definitions, a couple of examples there is we basically define what an orchard is as quite, being quite distinct from a food forest and the difference between embedded and embodied energy. These are often interchanged. We think there's good precise definitions for these and we want to encourage permaculturalists to develop a common language so that when, we're, when we say something, everybody practicing permaculture knows exactly what we mean. Such as a swale <coughs> being on contour, which is designed for water to penetrate the soil. And people talk about putting a grade on this swale to move it from one place to another. It's not a swale anymore, that's a drain. Those are the sort of things we're trying to clarify. Uh, so it's, uh, we're making it available, we always have. And this next version will be available for anybody to take away. It'll be in Word format, and we'd love everyone to take it and rejig it for the lo your local conditions and develop your own bi-regional uh, syllabus, syllabi, syllabuses. So we see it as a model. And, um, uh, and we love, if you do that, we'd love some feedback. We, we're going to keep putting out, we're up to, this is actually version 9, uh, 9.4 of the original syllabus because it's the first one that the Guild has put out under its auspices. We're renumbering this is version 1, but we'll soon have 1.1. And as soon as we finish reading Retro Suburbia, <coughs> there'll be 1.1 <laughs> coming out. There's so much there. And it'll be an annual thing. If anyone wants to talk more about what we're doing for the, for the Guild, come and see me or Virginia or uh, Wendy or Ian. Uh, who else have we got here? Robert, um, uh, Donna is here. Um, over the next day or so. Okay, uh, hey, got time for questions? Uh, one minute. One minute. Uh, we will, we'll, uh, um, we can send it to people we know, but we do have uh, a guild list of people who have uh, put their hands up uh, to be a guild member and, and actively assist in developing material, so we meet two or three times a year. Uh, but we have a more extensive list of people who just want to know what we're doing. So the Permaculture Educators Network will get periodic emails, updates, reports of our meetings, and any of these materials that we produce will be made available for you to use. So give, we'll put you on, when he's managing the, the Gmail account, she'll put you on the, uh, on the list. Be on the network list. Wendy. April. Uh, see, while you're here, sort it out with Wendy. Uh, uh, Virginia's best to answer that. Yeah, the permaculture demonstrator skill set is um, part of the accredited training. It covers delivering certificates one and two in, basically in schools, and it's not c equivalent to a PDC. Right. Okay. Any more? <laughs> okay, thank you.